Welcome to Give Him Hell, Bring Him, Jeff. It is Thursday. We are recording late because we uh, have some things that we need to make sure we're certifiable and verified to be included on the agenda. But before we get to those things, we need to start with our headlines. And this is great because our normal ridiculous headline that we intro with is usually something random. It might be Pablo Escobar's cocaine hippos. From They're now. humans now. Have you seen that? I read they are legal humans. Can you <laughs> can you explain to me how the hell that's possible? They got passed. They passed a law down there in, in where Colombia that they are now a protected hippo, and they have the same rights to property, same rights to life as a human does. So for all intents and purposes. I think they're just that scared a human. Of, of what the remains of Pablo Escobar's empire will do if anything it's like, happens to the hippos. It's like the number one tourist attraction down there because, like, there's no hippos. Hippos aren't part of that, you know, aren't there in that part of the world. They're not indigenous there, right? Right. But there's so many of them now. Like, there's like 30. So, like, yeah, <laughs> let's go see the wild hippos. I drove out to to the middle of nowhere past Tooele to look at the Anaki horses a few you know, a few months back, they go look at wild horses, or I go look at wild horses, they go look at wild hippos. It's the same idea. Just these hippos were brought because Pablo Escobar wanted some hippos and used all of his cocaine money to, to bring it over. Oh my gosh. It, anyway. This is, this is going to be a little bit of a weird show. It's not gonna a be... weird show, but it's, it's like a variety show. It sort of feels off-season adjacent. It's off-season adjacent, mostly because of this headline. Monkey belonging to Texas special teams coach stripper girlfriend bites child on Halloween. This is 100% a certified story. Uh, so Texas special teams coach Jeff Banks was married. He had kids. He left his family to begin dating a stripper whose stage name was Pole Assassin. And um, so here's kind of a timeline of what happened. This is from the Reddit CFB thread. Um, let's see. It said Texas special teams coach Jeff Banks monkey allegedly attacked and seriously hurt a young trick or treater last night. Banks apparently left his wife and kids to be with a stripper named Pull Assassin, and the monkey is hers and part of her act. Pull Assassin confirmed that a child was bitten, denies it was serious, but confirms that the monkey did bite a child. Pull Assassin says the monkey is her emotional support monkey, and. Uh, there are more screenshots of proof and there it was a video and she ended up deleting her entire Twitter account. And the monkey's name is Gia and has an Instagram account. Um, the account is active, but has since was active, but has since been deleted. And she says that the monkey says quote from her Twitter. I had a haunted house on one side gated off he had no permission to go past the gate. I had no idea he went into my backyard. Neither did I know anything about a bite until a doctor of the neighborhood told me that the treat a small bite. No parent have contacted me about it. Yes. She has had all her shots. She a emotional support animal who not to be touched. She speak by command of high five. No one is allowed to touch her unless I myself say it. Okay. It really sounds like on the office when Kevin is like, why use many <laughs> words when few words do trick, but uh, this is a real story. I, 
I don't even have words, man. Like I really don't because what more is there to say? Like she's got a monkey. She's a stripper. He coached. This could only happen at Texas university. Like there's not another school in the country that this could happen to. This is why, um, this is why Texas is the way that it is, right? Like this is why Texas can't win games. This is why Texas continually underperforms because this is the kind of shit that only happens to Texas. The, did you see, speaking of Texas underperforming, that their fans, some of them are now calling to recruit more three-star players? Yeah, I did see that. Um, I, I don't get it. But like, so the, the logic was they have too many entitled kids who are not willing to play within a system and work hard and that they need to get more scrappy players. Basically they need to get guys who just have the will to win and uh, don't see that problem at Ohio state. I don't see it at Alabama. I didn't see it at Texas 10 years ago either. Didn't see it at Texas 10 years ago. So I think there's a, there are certainly some culture issues there. I don't uh-huh. think that, I mean, the jury shouldn't totally be out on Sark after one year. I mean, I think there's, it's a multi-year culture rebuild that's not going to get fixed in one season. And I'm very much a believer in a year zero, especially now with the early signing day where it's like, by the time you sign up, you have zero chance to get anybody that you want with the time coaches yeah. get hired. It's like coaches get hired after the class is done. So you really are way behind the ball. And it took him, you know, three or four weeks to really land on a starting quarterback. Like they had a lot of things going on in Texas this year that I, I agree. Sark, there's there's no sense in uh, in blaming Sark at this point. Like, are there red flags? Sure, but red flags don't mean did, like that you've fallen off the cliff. It just means hey, address these so that you don't fall off a cliff. Right. Right. Um, speaking of recruiting, we've had our own recruiting rant this week. I, I'm starting to, have we sold any, I don't think we've sold any yet, which is disappointing to me, but I've started selling horses, not jockey shirts, because this is my thing now, guys, horses, not jockeys. If you've read anything that we put out this week, you know how important talent is. Talent has to come first at BYU has to we talked about that all last week um BYU could potentially add some pretty big talent tomorrow we're recording this late it's it's nine o'clock mountain time on Thursday by the time you're listening to this maybe news is already officially broken and maybe we're right maybe we're wrong but a lot of things are trending towards our guy Kingsley Suomatea landing in Provo and that's huge. That is so huge. Now, this is huge for a couple of reasons. And, and let's let's just hypothetically say, Garrett, it's happening. Okay. Just for for purposes of this show, let's assume that it's happening. If we're wrong, we're wrong. But whatever, this conversation is going to be framed under the assumption that Kingsley right. commits to be you one. and I have both put in our crystal balls on this already. So we've called our shot. If it blows up yeah. in our face, it blows up in our face. Sure. Yep. There are two major aspects to this decision. There's a football aspect, which is obviously huge, and we we could talk about that for a while. But there's this other component 
of what this, what message this sends to future recruits. This is the second major high profile guy in the last two years, really the last 12 months, right? That is coming to BYU. That went somewhere else, fell in love with the glitz and the glam of somebody else and is coming back to BYU. And if Kingsley does come back to BYU, it has nothing to do with Oregon. I can tell you that right now. It has nothing to do with Oregon. He loves Oregon. Oregon's a great program. Uh, he's, he's close with guys like Penny Sewell, who clearly Oregon worked for him. Noah Sewell, clearly Oregon worked for him, right? Oregon's a great program. Kingsley is coming here for family. And that means his direct family. That means the Polynesian culture that is, it's not all Polynesian culture, but it's the Polynesian culture within Provo, Utah County, the LDS community, that family that is so prevalent at BYU that, you know, it's there in Utah to an extent, right? It's there. It's, it, 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 it exists in pockets outside of BYU. But I think after how long has it been? Six years now of Kalani Satake, we're finally seeing that Polynesian family community manifest itself at BYU because Kingsley family is critical. Why did Puka come? Family. Not just his mom, but family, just in general. Samson, right? Same thing. Family is becoming evident. Logan Fano, same thing. Raider Damuni, same thing. Yeah. Right. Same and it's in that family, that's something uh at the Utah State Week when we had Hema Himuli on, he talked about, right? That it's, you know, we're starting to see in a couple on our Discord server, uh, a couple of Polynesian subscribers that we have said, hey, we're starting to see like, you know, there are always the very, very, very super LDS diehard BYU families that never left, but kind of the uh, what would you, the unaffiliated voters, the independents, the swing <laughs> that voters that vary from election to election. And it's which there's a lot more of those in the Polynesian community just by way of they have usually have ties to players at both schools. So it's they may yeah. have a preference one or the other, but the rivalry is not the same for them because they have ties to both schools. They want both schools to do well. It is what it is. And even Utah State as well, right? Every, everywhere in state. And But you are seeing starting to see more of the random unaffiliated fans coming yeah. out. You're seeing a lot more tees thrown up by uh, by fans in the stands, right? Right. A lot more tongue. And, and the addition of the Nakuas, the addition of Suomatea, right? Like, that's more Samoans as well. Like, right. Is you and I are white, you know? You and I, we we we've learned a lot about the Polynesian community, but we don't we don't really. I mean, know. it's like our Scottish or Irish or English German, I'm a yeah, mod, like, right heritage. That's not a defining part about my life. Right. Like right. it's, I'm, I'm an American, right? Like yep, I'm, exactly. I'm a middle-class exactly. American white dude. Yep. But for, for, for these guys, like, yes, they're all Polynesian. And when they're talking to white people, right, they're all Polynesian, but there's Tongans and there's Samoans. And, and frankly, the Samoan representation at BYU has been much less than the Tongan representation at BYU, even under Kalani right, wrong, on purpose. I'm not getting into any of that stuff. I don't think it's been intentional, but just for happen chance, whatever it is, right? You've seen more, uh, a much more Tongan influence than you have Samoan influence. But now with guys like Kingsley, presumably, Puka, Samson, 
there's Samoan descent, right? Like, so now you're getting the Samoans, you're getting Tongans back, you're getting that true Polynesian pipeline of everybody from Hawaii, from, from Fiji, from wherever they may be. That's huge. That is absolutely huge. huge. If you capitalize it and keep it going, this cannot be a flash in the pan, right? Like we're, we are not saying that it's gravy train from here on out, right? Right. We're we're saying it's, it's starting to form. There's some, there's momentum picking up on that. There's now two years worth of data points. Last year, Puka and Samson, you could, you could make the case that it's like, well, if it wasn't for their mom, they don't come. And maybe that's true. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But you could say that and nobody could refute you. And you could say Kingsley by himself, assuming he chooses BYU, you could say, yeah, if it wasn't for his family, he stays at Oregon. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's not. But now you've got two data points, right? You've got Puka and Samson last year and Kingsley this year. You now got a trend. Like you're, you're, you're one data point away from a trend of, hey, Big-time Polynesian players are coming back to BYU. That's huge. That is absolutely huge. Now, there is the football aspect. So Kingsley coming out of high school was 6'5 and a half, 280 pounds. That's a big dude. Big dude. After, I think he spent at Oregon now for 10 months. He is now 6'6 and a half, 330 pounds. He's enormous. And you, the pictures of the photo shoot, like, He's enormous, but doesn't look enormous, right? Like yeah. I, it's, he doesn't like, he doesn't have a huge old gut. He's not like, I was like, has Eddie Keel. Was that the guy who was like, Oh, uh, Eddie's my guy, but yeah, you're right. I mean, he's, he's my guy, you know, and I will always laugh of the story about him, like eating a cougar tail on the sideline. Right. But it's like, he had a so, bit of a, of a paunch, right. Funny, in his playing funny, days. Funny Eddie Keel story. So Eddie Keel, he married Jenny Overdeek, who played basketball at BYU. Jenny Overdeek lived in my, my home ward growing up, and Eddie and Jenny lived at, at her parents' house for a little while after they got married. One time, my Jenny's little brother and I, we were friends, and we went toilet papering with Eddie. Eddie had to be like 23 or 24 years old at this point. And we went toilet papered this house. I don't even remember whose house it was. Like It had to be somebody that my buddy knew or something. To me, it was just this man's house. I don't know who it was, but there was a field in his like backyard. He didn't have a fence. And there was a field in his backyard. Well, we got pretty well done. And then we saw a light turn on, right? The guy was coming. So we, we took off like you do. We took off and we ran into this field. And I remember running. I, I was out ahead of Eddie and the guy came running and he came, started to yell. He came running into his backyard, started to yell at us. And all we did is we just dropped because the, the whatever was in the field, hay probably, was long enough that if we dropped, he couldn't see us. So we all dropped in the field, but it was like, man, we're going to have to sit here forever until this guy goes away, and he was not going away. So after what felt like 15 minutes, but it was probably like two, all I see is this silhouette of Eddie Keel rise up out of the hay in front of me, just this big mountain of a man. And he just takes off. This was after he was done playing. So he's probably, I don't know if it was was after, or if it was like during the summer off season, I I don't Uh, know, but it was, it had to be after probably right after, but all I see is this big silhouette of this big, enormous man just rise up in the dark. 
and he goes and at a dead sprint starts running towards this guy and this guy who had just been screaming expletives like you would not believe at us like was furious at us you watch him and his flashlight just turn around the flashlight falls to the ground and he runs as fast as he can into his house and then you just saw his light turn off and eddie keel turned around and said boys let's go home and so he went home that's my eddie keel story uh, I don't remember what funny. we were talking about. Kingsley. Uh, Kingsley, <laughs> is Kingsley. Uh, I didn't realize that Eddie Keel is from Pullman. Yeah, he's from, no, from Isaiah Perez is like his cousin. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh wait. Oh no. There's a wa- another Washington State campus over there. He is. He is from Othello, Washington. Which okay, is... that's that's where Isaiah's from. Is Othello? I just assumed it was by Pullman, but I have no yeah. Idea. No, there's an uh, when you look on the map, it comes up as Washington State University. So I thought it was some other dinky town next to Pullman, but mm. it is not. It's like smack dab in the state, but there's a Wazoo branch there. Gotcha. Um, but Kingsley, from a physical standpoint, I remember coming out of high school. I remember covering Kingsley. The physical, like you didn't even talk about the physical aspect of football. Like he didn't talk about it. None of his, none of the coaches talked about it. Nobody talked about it because there's not very many kids, even D one kids. There's not very many kids that they're going to be fine. It's not even a question physically. Like they're going to be just fine. You don't even think twice about it. Kingsley's that guy. Yeah. And it's, he could have gone anywhere, right? Like this isn't, this isn't a, Oh, they were talking and got an offer, but it wasn't committable. It's like, he could have called up any school in the country and said, Hey, I want in. And they would have made room for him. This is a huge yeah. monumental get. Yeah. Like this is, this is up there with like Ben Olson, Ofa Mojitu level commitment in terms yeah, of it, national it's, recruiting landscape. It's the what? I think it's the third five-star player in BYU history behind those two that you just mentioned. Yeah. So, yeah. So obviously he's a four-star composite, but he is a five-star number 32 overall um, by 24 seven themselves. But yeah. So if we look at all-time top recruits, Uh, Scott Young is currently at number three and he was a four-star. So yeah, third five-star guy. Jake keeps everybody assumes was this five-star dude. He was not. Uh, He came out he was the fourth rated pro style quarterback. He was a top 100 guy. Like there's no question that he was a big deal, but he came out in a very, uh, a very, a very weak quarterback class. Yeah. So he was one of the best quarterbacks, but like, let's rattle off some names here of the pro style quarterbacks. Philip Sims. Do you know who he is? Not nope. Phil- Jesse Scroggins. Phil. Not oh, Phil I- Sims. Philip. Uh, Jesse Scroggins played at USC and then went to Arizona, I believe. Yep, that's true. Connor Wood, Tyler uh, Bray, Chase Reddick. Like, you got to go down quite a ways to find a quarterback that, like, actually turned into something. Yeah. I don't know why. This is a weird class. So Tanner Mangum, Matt Reynolds, Ross Offo, Chaz, Walt Williams, man, the, the myth. What could have been? Um, yeah, so that 20, let me look at that. Uh, yeah, because even Jake Heaps was the net, he was the 90th player in the country, he was the third ranked pro style quarterback. Jesse, yeah, Connor, but there just weren't Tyler very many Bray, good quarterbacks. Brent Nottingham, also, I'm trying to think of how far you have to 
Nick Montana, Scotty. Wow. Oh, maybe let's look at a. So there wasn't. I mean, Philip Sims. I know he went to Alabama, but I don't know what he. I don't there think he was ever not did anything there. Um, there was oh, not really a. Oh, he like transferred. Sean Mannion. He transferred to Virginia and then to a D two school, Winston Salem, and he like. Philip Simpson never did anything. I'm trying to look at a. Let's look at the dual yeah, quarterbacks. You got to drop all the way. I know what you're doing, and I'll, I'll save you some time. There's like not there's, a single NFL quarterback out of this class. No, there's there's not anybody. You got to drop out of the top twenty or two forty seven. Sean Mannion is probably the best quarterback that came out of of that class. He was a four star guy. Went to Oregon State. BYU remembers him, right? Like he he killed BYU. Tommy Reese went to Notre Dame. He was a high three-star guy right on the, right on the border of a four-star, but like that's, da- that's really... Dallas Floyd was in that same class and he ended up being a safety at Stanford. Right. Trevor Simeon was in that class. He's still lingering around in the NFL. Uh, Case McCoy, not Colt McCoy, Case He's, McCoy. So the not good got one. knocked out by Alani Fua. And right. Blake Bortles Roma. was in that class. Like there just weren't very many good quarterbacks and, and, People are probably bored, but I'm just, just kind of the way I'm amazed. Like, so I legitimately, if you go down that list, there is nobody who is a legitimate, uh, like, I don't think there's a single pro bowler quarterback out of this. There's yeah, just I, one of the worst quarterback classes ever. And I think there is even in bad quarterback things like it's oh, Tyler Gabbert. Not not uh, Blaine, Blaine. Tyler. It's Tyler. <laughs> right. The crappy, the crappy brother again, right? Right. Um, yeah, it, it, it was bad. It was a bad year. Yeah, like Trevor we, Simeon. We like to we oh, I guess Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles. We like to blame Jake Heaps a lot, you know, and like Jake Heaps didn't have a great Bright, career, Bryce Petty wasn't bad at Baylor, but neither did anybody else in that class. Nobody else had a good career in that that class. Yeah, that was maybe it was, it's not Jake's fault. Maybe if Jake was a 2011 guy, he's a mid three star and nobody's that upset. Honestly, it's true. He was just, there was some inflation because it was, where are you relative to the year? Not, you know, where are you really? Because, uh, yeah, even going down, it's like the next thing you got, Bryce Petty was okay at Baylor, nothing great, right? The, I mean, I guess he did get drafted, but like, you know, he was nothing ever to super write home about. Uh, Grant Hendrick was a backup at Boise State, right? Like you had Blake Bortles, obviously. Blake Bortles was the prize QB of that class, and really the, and obviously he was Blake Bortles. <laughs> so the, Blake Bortles' claim to fame was being a meme on The Good Place. Uh huh. Anyway. The the thing that made Jake Heap so good in high school was that Casey Case. Williams was his receiver. This is true. Like you watch his highlights at Skylight High School, and Jake keeps had a cannon like that was never in, in question and he could just chuck it deep to Cason Williams who was a star at Washington and he would go get it and I think that's that's what it was Dude, whatever Cason Williams he ended up playing at Washington right mm-hmm. yeah and he was a stud and he ended up playing in the NFL for a while too mm-hmm. uh, well, but so anyway, anyway. recruiting Kingsley Sumatai will be a very, 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 very big deal. Moral yes. of this long, long, long roundabout story. Yeah, and I think he's going to be – he's an immediate starter guy. Like, we say that, but he is, right? Like, he 
Sorry, Harris, the chance. You're probably moving either inside or to the third string offensive tackle. Unfortunate. I think Lachance could do do okay inside next to pay because it, it sounds so like it it sounds like uh, Joe Tukawafu will be honored as a senior. Um, yep. Come Saturday, so will James Empey. So it's you know it's pays time to shine on the inside, leading the way at center, and that guard spot will be open next to him. And I think Harris Lachance will fit right in. Um, he's a little tall so for a guard, right? But he is. BYU got away with that with Kiefer and Chandon Herring, right? Like they were both enormously tall guards. So as long as Jaron could throw over the top of them, all is well. Right. And it's the whole in getting, especially in a zone run, the scheme, it's the, the leverage of being an interior lineman and needing to like, you're not moving people. It's like the blocking is more shielding necessarily than moving, right? Like it's, it's a lot more of the concept of taking what the defense gives you and applying that also to run blocking, right? And so mm-hmm. it's it's not like you are, you know, doing a gap like where you're getting a double team. It does affect what you can do pulling, you know, because you got to be able to move quickly. But I, if it's really the height and leverage inside is not an issue as much as can are your feet quick enough being that big. And I don't right. think Lachance has a problem with that. Um, before we move on to basketball. I have an announcement. I haven't even told you about this yet. I'm scared. I think I might have. I might have told you about this. I can't remember. Uh, I wrote two weeks ago about the Red Barn Academy. Yes. And I think it was two weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. Red Barn Academy, if you don't remember, uh, they are a, they're like a, what do they call themselves? Like a therapy home where basically they, they take in men, criminals, uh, some of them, potentially criminals, drug addicts, whatever, lots of different reasons that these men go there. And they help rehab them. They give them support, but there's no therapists, there's no doctors, there's no medication. It's just a group of men. It's all self-led that they work together to make themselves better. One of the coolest programs that I have ever witnessed, ever seen. I got a chance to go there uh, a few weeks ago, go on a tour, go see kind of some of the behind the scenes stuff. Just an absolutely unbelievable establishment. I fell in love with this place. I fell in love with their cause. I met a bunch of the, dip, the, the, the men who are in this program right now. It's only a men's program, not a, not, not a women's program. They might extend into that down the road. They're, they're rapidly trying to grow. But for now, it's only men. And I got to know some of these men fell in love with their story, fell in love with the, the men that they're becoming, like absolutely remarkable story. And I, I immediately said to myself, I want to help this. I don't know what to do. They, my money, I, we're pretty rich, Garrett. We don't have enough money to really move the needle with our donations. Um, I don't have any expertise with addiction recovery or anything like that, but I knew I wanted to help. So I reached out to the program and one way that I think we can help is, is really by bringing awareness to what they are, what they do, and, and how the, their entire community works. So I reached out, and we are going to have, I think it'll be a special show. I, I think it will be outside of our, our current format, right? This won't be a football-driven show, but Garrett, we're going to later this month, the end of the month, around Thanksgiving time, 
We're going to bring on the program director at Red Barn Academy, and he's going to bring with him uh, one of the students who's currently there, who is 16 months into his 24-month program. He had, his name is Kalen. He had eight years worth of jail time over his head, but Red Barn got him into the program. And the state signed off and said, yes, come to the program instead. You could go there instead of prison. But if you leave the program early, you're done. Kalen's one of the most amazing people I've ever met. His story is absolutely phenomenal. So we're going to have those two on the show for a special show. Uh, like I say, sometime around the week of Thanksgiving. And learn more about Red Barn. Learn more about addiction. Kind of like what we did with Max Hall without that BYU twist to it, right? Right. But just learn more about who these people are, what people are struggling with, and, and how we can help. Because, man, I was, I was floored. And one thing that really stood out to me uh, that, that when I was meeting with these guys that they told me is that for the first time in their lives, some of these people, I think Kalen in particular, has been battling addiction since he was 12 years old. And in this program, he now has roommates who have a standard with him. And they hold each other accountable. He's now in his mid-30s, maybe 40. And he said that's the first time in his life that he ever had anybody who held him to a standard. And that just blew me away. I can't, I, I don't think most of us, right, can imagine something like that. Of No teachers, parents, friends, church leaders, coaches, whatever it may be. He had never had anybody hold him to a standard. And he said that the most powerful thing about this program for him so far was, was that, that there is somebody who expects a certain level from him. And when he delivers underneath that level, somebody's upset. Just fascinating stuff. I'm excited to bring them on. So that's my announcement to everybody, but to you as well. The end of this month, around Thanksgiving time, we're, we're going to have a special Red Barn show. Okay. We will keep an eye out for that. Um, and I'm excited for that as well. Um, with the rest of our thing, we do have a uh, some recruiting stuff. Um, but first off, Logan Fano is back from his mission, uh, and he will be enrolling in January. So we will have on the defensive line next year, we'll be adding as enrollees in January, right? We'll have Isaiah Moa and Logan Fano. Huge, huge, huge. I uh, can't huge cannot state enough how big of a deal it is. Um, and, and we really need some of these defensive line guys to turn out, right? We can't miss me with the Troy Hines, the Longy Tui Fuas, like all these guys that keep getting hurt. I, I'm ready for Logan and ice to be good for four years. And so that is something that um, also, and then on, you know, other, right. Other recruiting news, right. It's Walker Lyons and Ethan Thomason both were visited last week. Cormani McLean is making yet another trip to Provo. Uh, he's like the number six overall player in the class next year. He's not a member. He's from Florida. It is bizarre to me, but he has paid his own time to come to BYU multiple times. So he's a I, bigger, like Najee Harris was the story a few years ago. Uh, Cormani's more highly touted than Najee was. And he has come to, he has spent more time in Provo than Najee has as well. Yeah. And Najee always came with like, he came when there was a camp. Like he would go to the, you know, whatever, they weren't level up back then, but whatever they, they called themselves at the time, he would go to their camps at Orem High School. And then he would also visit BYU while he was in town. Like Cormani is coming to go to BYU. He is coming to Idaho go to State. the Idaho State game. 
Yeah, I, yeah. I, um, I don't want to go to the Idaho State game. You won't. I know you won't. That's fine. I, I don't want to. <laughs> the, but Cormani does. And it's so really this next class, um, you know, 2023 is shaping like it could be a huge, huge class. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot to see there, but there was a basketball game tonight. How much of the show of the game tonight against Colorado Christian did you have a chance to watch? I mean, my honest answer, I didn't even know it was happening. I saw people <laughs> tweeting about a game and I honestly thought it was the blue and white game. So about that much. Yeah, we gave Guys, up. College basketball is not real until after Thanksgiving. I it's can't. not. It's just like the NBA is not real until after. It's like the NBA starts on Christmas Day. Everything else for that is preseason. But right. it is interesting, though, that both teams scored less than they, the football teams did on Saturday. The final score is 63 <laughs> to 45. Uh, definitely not the showing um, we would have liked. <laughs> not... I mean, obviously the 45 is good, but offensively there were a lot of struggles and it was, there wasn't rotations weren't very clean. That was kind of everyone, everything just looked very sloppy. And I get that it's the first game of the season. Got to find the rhythm, but it's also a D2 school. Like, come on guys. Right. Like, it, you know, it's, it's, you got to put a, you should look better than that against a D2 school. Yeah, you should, but also you shouldn't be playing basketball until December. So uh, I'm not going to judge anybody harshly. Now, look, I know they play San Diego state next week. I think like, that'll be a big game. I'll yeah. tune in. I will find time for the, the exciting preseason games, but my gosh, I'm still way more worried about BYU football versus USC than I am BYU basketball against Colorado, whoever the hell. 100%. Yeah. just doesn't matter. Now, the one thing that does matter about basketball, I don't know how BYU basketball has the worst jerseys in the whole world all of the world they are so bland they are the same every year they are terrible there are so many color schemes so many different designs like get away from the the basic brigham number young also take the flag off of the jersey I get it. It was a 9-11 thing, but like we're the only ones who do it. Like, I don't even know if the Boy Scouts put the flag on their jerseys anymore. You take the flag off of the jersey because when you have the flag on the jersey and then you add the Nike logo and then you add the WCC logo and then heaven forbid they're in the NCAA tournament and you have that, you, you look like a damn NASCAR hood. If, but you're not even getting paid for it. Like if you're going to be terrible. like the Lakers and have like wish on the front or whoever, right. right? it's like, if just get a Jersey sponsor then. Oh, it's so bad. And, and yeah, like let's branch out, you know, Brigham Young. Like nobody even refers to BYU as Brigham Young anymore. Let's let's go by BYU. Let's go by Cougars. Let's go by Cougs. Like there's so many different Coogies. things that they could do. I want, I, want, I want a Cougies basketball jersey. I'm. <laughs> we could probably make one. I'm sure. I I made a give them hell Brigham baseball jersey. Why couldn't we do that? Was basketball? that thing was beautiful? It yeah, really was. I mean, I think we can make a few of those. Uh, but the, come on, I don't know who's in charge. Like BYU football's come a long ways, right? And and BYU football doesn't have to get crazy. They're not Oregon. That's not what anybody's advocating for here. But yeah. they got to be better than they are. It's the basketball jerseys just have 
they've just been bland, right? Like you said, it's just there's nothing, nothing really exciting. The the last exciting thing we got was shorts with mountains on yeah. them. Yeah, and like I, people, I guess, get excited about like the Danny Ainge baby blue and silver, but ugh, if that's what we're getting excited about, that tells you how bad it's been. And I don't know what it is. I, I, I don't know. I think that I think that college basketball teams, because really college basketball jerseys are bad everywhere. I think college basketball teams are afraid to try things. I don't know why. I don't know if they just don't get money into the program like football does. I don't know if there's like some unwritten rule that I'm just unaware of, but BYU or BYU basketball is bad, but basketball, college basketball jerseys are not good. There are very few that I go, oh damn, that looks good. It's not very many. I don't, yeah, I can't remember the last time I saw some basketball jerseys that I was like, ooh, those are clean. Um, but like the NBA can pull it off, you know, like they try weird stuff, like hey, those jazz jerseys that look like the sunset or whatever it is, like that was weird. That was really weird. That like, think about the 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 uniform executive that was like, okay, guys, I know the Jazz are purple, but like, hey, let's throw on a jersey that just has random stripes that are black, orange, yellow, darker yellow, red. It's weird, but it's it's dope. It is. I I would like to see some uh, creativity on that front. Maybe. Maybe what we need to take the initiative and we need to work on some designs and say, Hey, BYU basketball, make these like these, here's the design for you of what needs to happen. Um, because it, it really is. We do need a fresh, but let's get into our games. But before we get into our games, Oh, guess we haven't even talked about the rankings yet. So we are number. Oh, yeah, there were rankings. Here we are ranting about basketball jerseys like it's Dude. the middle of like May. Yeah, I know. And so we do have. Um, Guys, so Idaho State Week sucks. That's what this. It is. was. So BYU came in at number fifteen. Well, surprising. Uh, it's kind of we talked about on Sunday night how the Boise State game was kind of long forgotten because we got like the bump of you know everything else. It was. We got the benefit of the, uh, that was a fluke. They actually outplayed them, but the scoreboard didn't show it. And then now looking at the rankings, we're 15, Baylor's 12. So at best, we could have moved up to 13, probably would have stayed in the same spot. I think had we beat Boise and then lost to Baylor the way we did, we'd probably be 14, right? Instead of 15. Yeah. It didn't really yeah, cost us anything. Um, right. So we did have a, uh, there were overall those still is, you know, Cincinnati was number six. And the frustrating thing about it is not that Cincinnati is six. It's that there is no path to them because they like, they get the top like six teams and then the other 19 teams in the ranking are all hedging to justify the top six. And that is where my frustration comes in, right? Because so they have Cincinnati at six, Oklahoma is at eight. But Oklahoma has to play Oklahoma State. They got to play Baylor. And then they're going to have to play one of them again in the conference championship game. So they've got at least three top 25 games left. Cincinnati, you know, SMU was 7 0. They lost to Houston when Houston ran a kickoff back with 15 seconds left to win that game. So Houston and SMU both have one loss. And 
SMU's only losses to Houston. Houston's only losses to a bad Texas Tech team in week one, but has won seven straight since then. They're not even ranked, right? And it's but San Diego State and Fresno State. Fresno State has two losses, but Fresno State is ranked. And so there is no where you Gary would Barta have. does not watch football. And Well, no, it's just they – it's messed up because you'd say, okay, SM, Cincy, you got the win over Notre Dame. You got the win over Indiana. You've been winning all the rest of your games. Now they should have a ranked chance against Houston. They are against SMU coming up. They should have a chance against Houston in the conference championship game. And they don't, right? Like it's, they completely, they say you didn't play enough ranked teams, but then they, because they're hedging all their P5 teams on the back end by putting crap, you know, got like three loss Mississippi state is ranked, but seven and one SMU and seven and one Houston are not since he doesn't get any chances for top 25 games because the way the committee sets up the rest of it. So it's like, you know, why, why should Alabama get credit for playing Mississippi state when it means nothing if to play SMU or Houston who have two less losses. Like I get Mississippi state is a P five school, but how, how I think them playing SMU or Houston would be a pretty decent matchup on both, both of those schools, right. Losses aside. And so it really, we did go in, we've reached out to, some why non sources on this front and to find out what the hatred Gary Barta has against the university of Cincinnati. And we got a very long, I'm going to read this verbatim. I skimmed through it earlier. There were a lot of very good points and it, it really ties. It, it is ties together at the end. Um, we did want to get uh, this individual on this week. Um, maybe we'll get them on for the rankings next week, but we have not been able to find a way to uh, anonymize their voice, like on a like on a crime show when it's. Can you like, say that word again? Anonymize. Uh, anonymize. Is well that done. Uh, I mean, I, it is now. Uh, and so we haven't been able to anonymize their voice, and you know, with the I talk to so you know how they like make it really yeah, low. We don't so know how to do that. We're not that technical. So Gary Barter was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And famous Cincinnati alum, Sandy Koufax, absolutely blasted the 65 twins in what might have been Barta's first sports memory. Chris Collinsworth, the owner of Pro Football Focus, is another Cincinnati alum. And Pro Football's focus all season, until they started losing, had Cincinnati one spot ahead of Iowa in their rankings. And Travis Kelsey played at Cincinnati, even though Iowa proclaims to be the tight end, you know, be the tight end factory none of them are as good as travis kelsey luke fickle during his time at ohio state won two conference titles and watched eddie george win the heisman iowa has only won 11 titles and one heisman in the last 122 years president taft graduated from the university of cincinnati had a meteoric rise in politics so quick in fact he leapfrogged iowa senator jonathan Dolliver to succeed teddy roosevelt as the head of the republican party but, Jeff, this is where it gets crazy, our good friend points out. Barda, you ever met anyone with the last name Barda? I never have, other than this schmuck. Oh, fake name. Barda is a Hungarian last name, and which was obviously Hungary. was a part of a World War I ally of the Ottoman Empire. The Ottomans built wealth as a trade route from Asia to Europe, and their dominance led to Europe's age of discovery. Over what was this route built on? Spices, cinnamon, allspice, you know, 
saffron, everything, you name it. And Cincinnati is famous for having cinnamon chili. Cincinnati, they flaunt the remnant in the central power's face. So how does it all fit? And it all ties together with the Kennedy assassination. Where is Barta born? He was born in 1963, the same year JFK was shot. JFK Jr. worked in the New York DA's office, where his boss was Robert Morgenthau. Morgenthau's grandfather was the ambassador to the Ottoman Empire during World War I. So this has been a long, long play by the former Central Powers and the city of Minneapolis, where Gary Barta was born in 1963, all to get revenge on the University of Cincinnati and everything related to cinnamon chili. I mean, what more is there to say? I had a different screen up to read this wall of text and I clicked back to the zoom and Jeff has his hat on. Did you make a new hat or is that the same one last year? No, I moved the, the original wine on tinfoil hat. Uh, it got lost in the move. So this is a new one. I didn't make a Y on top. It's more like a pumpkin stem, (laughs) but uh, no, I have a serious complaint about the college football playoff committee. This is serious. Okay. There are, we have replaced it. We talked about this last year when it was BYU. A lot of people have talked about it, but we've replaced like everybody in the world is going towards like data science, data analytics, you know, all of that stuff. Right. And the college football world is like the anti analytics after, after being the forefront of that with the BCS and saying, we're going to use six computer models to decide who can play in our championship. They have decided that 13 adults in a room, that's the way to discover and, and really identify who is best. Okay, fine. So you're going to have 13 people. Like, I think that's stupid. I think ignoring the data and the analytics is, is very short-sighted, but fine. You're going to get 13 people. You're going to get the 13 best football people that you can, right? You're going to get head coaches. You're going to get current players or NFL players or maybe – a couple of athletic directors, right? Like that's probably what you're going to do. No, 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 no. One of 13, one of the 13 people is Rod West. Rod West, he played football for Lou Holtz at Notre Dame in like the eighties, right? Like he was on that 88 national championship team. So I'm sure the guy knows some football, but what has Rod West been doing for the last 20 some odd years? He is the group president at Entergy. Entergy is like Rocky Mountain Power of the like Eastern Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas area. Okay. Why in the hell do we have an executive member from an energy company as one of the 13 people in charge of deciding who is and who is not worthy? of the college football playoff. Well, and it's who, like, I think Condoleezza Rice used to be on here. Yeah. Like, it's, and it's insane. Like, I, I want 15 or 13, however many different people it is. I want 13 different, I want former coaches who are closely like, I want, well, I guess Mac Brown is back coaching, right? I want, you know, like, give me Lou Holtz and Mac Brown and Gary Patterson's unemployed now. Give me him. Right. It's like, I want guys like that. Who's who are watching them and saying like, no, yeah. Like this team is better. That team is better. If, if we are saying, give me the best teams, you know, if it's, and if you're giving me the best teams and it makes sense for Alabama, 
to be number two because you're saying, well, going forward, Alabama would beat anybody, but this is the playoff. It doesn't, playoffs are not supposed to be seeded based on best teams. They're supposed to be seeded based on best resumes. And so give me best resumes. And they don't do that. And that, they is, the, don't. that is the frustrating thing. It is almost exclusively athletic directors. And a lot of the athletic directors that sit on the college football playoff committee don't actually, like they don't have a, a football background. Like Gary Barta, right? Like let's read his official, he doesn't even talk about Gary Barta ever having an athletic career. Gary Barta is the chair of the athletic or of the college football playoff committee. And he is the athletic director at Iowa. He went to North Dakota state and was a member of their football teams in the early eighties. So he played football at a low level school in North Dakota. And now he is the front runner, the, the biggest voice in the chair of deciding who does and does not qualify for the college football. It's, it's absurd, right? Like you've got absurd. I think Wyoming on the, Why like would the, you the take... only former co- okay so you have tyrone willingham is the only former coach it's that insane. is on there i i think they should do something like the final four fcs teams from last year like those four coaches can come and be on the, the college football playoff selection committee like i want the four best fcs coaches like make it kind of like the all-star game i guess right like you win the world series, then you coach the major league all-star game the next year, do something like that, but make it coaches, make it current players, make it somebody who understands the game of football and these athletic directors. I also don't, I, I struggle with the weekly thing. So like the NCAA tournament, right? Like they had like Tom Homo was part of that selection committee once, but they bring in, the Lenardis, they, they look at all the bracketology crap. They have a ton of data, but it's like a war room for the week before they release the bracket and they get inundated and they, they go all in on coming up with that bracket for that week. And I'm sure they meet and have calls or whatever along the way, but it's that week that they come up with their bracket and they go over every data point that they can. Right. But this idea that these 13 people who are athletic directors, who are professors, who are apparently executive members at energy companies, have the time to take the next three months and watch every football game on a weekly basis to know who should and should not be ranked where. It's, it, it's insanity. The very notion of it is just insane. The idea and, that anybody thought this would work is insane. And I... It's, I don't know why we thought that it might be better, you know, than what we had before. There was some type of, you know, naivety around that, that we thought, you know, maybe, maybe, just maybe it would be different. Um, but I really just get, we should have just taken and kept the BCS and expanded it and just said, okay, we're going to use the same thing to give me four teams instead of two. Right. And, it's, um, you know, and it's just really interesting. So even looking at, okay, if I look at Massey composite last thing, we're, we're going to wrap up here, um, right now, this final parting thought, like looking at Massey composite, right. So they've got 84 different computer rankings pulled in here so far this week. 
BYU was number 15. That was a shock. Nasty composite. They're number 19 between Penn State and Pitt. And like it's that honestly seems like a lot more fitting based on what we've seen from this team than being number 15. But the real shocker, right, is that Oregon is number four in this stupid playoff ranking. They're number 15 out of all these different computer rankings. They're number 15 and the highest has them to do that actually is the single highest thing is the college football playoff ranking. The AP poll has them at seven and then the highest ranking in any of the computer models is eight is nine. So they, all the computer models have them between nine and 39, but then the CFP thing has them at four, which is still three spots higher than what both the AP and coaches poll have them at is, is ridiculous. Right. And it's, if you look at this top 10, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio state, Michigan, Cincy, Michigan state, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Wake Forest, Oklahoma state as a top 10. I agree with that. Like, I don't think there's any, think like Cincy is very, very close nipping at the heels of Michigan. And if they had kind of blown out Navy and Tulane, instead of toying with them for in those games being closer, if they had a little bit of style points on there and not play those games as close as they did, they probably would be in front of them. But even then too, it's, it's quite a drop from Georgia. So Georgia is their mean ranking is 1.12. And then Alabama is number two at four and a half. And then Ohio State is four eight five, right? So it's Georgia is clearly number one, but it's it it needs to change. Obviously, it needs to expand and it needs to change, just, right? Just go back to what it was like, not the BCS, but the BCS numbers. Let the the computers dictate who the four teams are, and then have a playoff system for those four teams, right? Like it, this this shouldn't be hard, but um, it is. So. The looking at the the massive composite right now, um, the best team, the Big Ten is the number one league in the country right now. SEC right behind. Then the current Big Twelve. Then there's a big drop to the ACC. Then another big drop, equal size drop to the Pac-12. And the Pac-12 is actually closer to the Mountain West and the American than they are to the ACC. I think next week is going to be our Pac-12 show. Oh yeah. It's, it's a bye week. Um, I mean, just quick headlines. We're going to get into details, but like Arizona State is about to fire Herm Edwards. UCLA about to fire Chip Kelly. USC already fired Clay Helton. Arizona, they have not won in literally two years. Colorado is the second most stable program in the Pac-12 South. That's bizarre to me. <laughs> Isn't that bizarre? And then Utah, who just, I guess, by default is the cream of the crop. Um. Yeah, so the Pac-12 is closer to both is closer to the Mountain West, the American, and the Sun Belt than they are to the Big 12 right now, and that includes the new Big 12 because if you look at the new, take out Oklahoma and Texas, slide them to the SEC, and then add in the new Big the four new teams, and the Big 12 ranking actually goes up by all just over a full spot. It goes yep. from a 42.72 average to a 41.6 because hey. Houston, BYU, and Cincy are all good this year. My, my guy, Steve Bartle, was right. It is P4. It is P4. And sorry, it's just the Pac-12. Yain it. Like, it's it's bad. Right? Like, it's – so you look at – it's 
I'll, I'll drop the decimals because that doesn't matter. So it's like Big 10, 39, SEC, 40, Big 12, 42, ACC, 53, Pac-12, 63, Mountain West, 70, AAC, or the American, 74, and then the Sunbelt, 84. It's Funny. like, in what world, like it's, the Pac-12 is closer to three of the G5 leagues than they are yeah. to... And that's with Oregon at four. And, yes. And well, Oregon's at, well, in this well, ranking, Oregon Oregon's and whatever at, they are, is it yeah. they're at 15, right? And they're that's the highest Oregon carrying the conference, right? Take away uh, Oregon and they are the Sun Belt. Um, actually, well, let's see. So it was 60, 63, 12. Um, let's see. It is. Uh, yeah, if you took them away, they'd be 68. And the Mount, so the average Mountain West team, non Oregon, is two spots behind in the rankings than the average Pac 12 team. That's bad. They got problems. They have very, very big problems. Um, and we, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, even looking at the do conference comparisons. I, I've tracked this over the last couple of years. Um, where is it? Oh, this is all. I have too many sheets, Jeff. Too, too, too many sheets. Um, but there it is. So even, yeah, the mountain or the American has, oh, let's see, AC. So the yeah the American the Mountain West or the Pac-12 is on pace to finish with a worse average computer ranking than the American has had for right now two of the last five years and could easily end up being four out of the last five years. The American was better than what the Pac-12 has had. Um, so it's just really bad. Next week is going to be our Pac-12 show um, because the bye week we're going to have very little to talk about. Um, but Jeff, it has been a good show. It looks like your Jeff's internet actually did just drop out. Unfortunately, his kids must be running wild again. Um, so if you have not yet joined our discord, hop on the discord. Um, you can go to our website, click the discord link on the homepage and come join us. It's a fun time, especially in the game threads. It's the most fun way to watch a game besides being there in person. And if to all our fellow listeners out there until next time, give them help.